Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about film, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Colin McCormick. I'm Elijah Fleming. And I'm Christy Vogler. And today we're talking about The Emperor's Club, a 2002 American drama film directed by Michael Hoffman and starring Kevin Kline and Emil Hirsch. And boy, do we have thoughts about this. So I'm going to start with Eli, because you went first. Eli, did you dig The Emperor's Club? No. <laughs> a big, great big resounding no. I read the short story that it is based on, The Palace Thief by Ethan Kanan. Mm-hmm. who is uh, a faculty at the Iowa Writers' Workshop at the University of Iowa. So I read it in like my first year freshman class at the University of Iowa, our little like gen ed um, English. And I, I remember thinking this feels really familiar and I like it maybe it, as a short story, but uh, trying to translate this into a movie, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Christy? I... Um, have not read the short story. I definitely like I got halfway through it this morning and I was like I was enraged on so many levels and then I got to the end and it's like the final note wasn't terrible and I think I'm glad I watched it because I want like this is giving us an opportunity to talk critically about teaching classics history and all of this which I think is really important and like why am I so angry at this on so many levels but also the aspect of I'm a teacher we're all teachers as well as scholars and this whole being human and making mistakes in teaching and how much of an impact that does have I think like that resonated with me at the end so it was like it ended on an almost good note for me but the rest of it was just infuriating so um i think that's what we'll get into i'm sure yeah so i uh i'm I'm about to launch into a a sort of a brief kind of summary because it's probably been either many years since other listeners have seen this movie this movie came out in 2002 or they may not have ever seen it before because it's a bit of a forgotten movie but I have like a bit of a weird personal connection with this movie. One of those is we watched this movie when I was in high school. And I feel like when I was in high school, we watched and read a lot of stories about like prep schools and like boys prep schools. I feel like like a weird disproportionate amount of my high school education was dedicated. And I went to public school. It wasn't like it was like pertinent to our experiences, but we like, we're reading like a separate piece. And there's a movie with Brendan Fraser where he's at a prep school for wasps and, and dead poet society and all these, you know, like prep school stories. I mean, I guess like catcher in the rye Mm -hmm. sort of is one of these. And we watched this movie and I remember this, I like, I, this is a movie that is for one, some weird reason, like burned into my memory. And I remember like every single part of it when I was rewatching it this morning <laughs> down to like the final, the twist and the final reveal at the end. But the other weird connection is I've been to St. Benedict's in real life. Well, it's not St. Benedict's, it's Emma Willard and it's a private all girls school in Troy, New York really, really close to where I grew up. And I knew people who went there. I have been to Emma Willard on, on several occasions. So like I have like been to that campus and it does look like that. It is picturesque. It, looks pretty. Yeah. it is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a Hogwarts castle. <laughs> Anyways, like Christy was saying though, I am I liked the I liked the movie a little bit more at the very end. I have a lot, a lot of thoughts about the nature of teaching the classics in this movie, pedagogy and like education in general. And this is a very kind of 
pertinent movie. I think right now, because we're having a lot of sort of ref- self-reflection in our field. But mm-hmm. just to get sort of listeners in, a quick sort of plot summary. So the the first two-thirds of the movie are set in 1976 or something like that. So an all-boys, super elite boarding school. And Kevin Klein is a teacher of, I guess, Roman history. And every year they have like a contest, uh, the the Julius Caesar contest, where it's like a trivia contest of, of Roman history and stuff. And Emil Hirsch is one of the new students, and he's the son of a senator, and he's like a troublemaker and a loudmouth and a clown. And, but you know, Kevin Klein manages to get through to him a little bit and he starts applying himself and he almost makes it into the final for this contest. And then Kevin Klein kind of fudges it at the end to get him into the, into the final three to be in the contest. But then he finds out that he cheats. And then we have a fast forward to about 30 years later in, in 2000 and the uh, Emil Hirsch's character has grown up. He's now like a rich businessman or something. And he has a, he redoes the contest uh, and then Kevin Klein catches him cheating again. And that's kind of the movie. Yep. Yep. So where to begin? <laughs> I feel like we could almost sort of separate this maybe into themes, but I maybe they're too intertwined. So I'm thinking of like the entire overarching teacher-student relationship, pedagogical, like uh, dealing with students who don't want to learn maybe question mark i have a big question on mark on that um but also just like dealing with cheating which is something that i feel like i have really had in my brain this week (laughs) dealing with my own students cheating (laughs) and then like separate from that also is maybe this theme of like the importance question mark in quotes of the classics and like why why is he a classics professor and like, what is the question that's just what is the school's curriculum? Because it seems that like <laughs> th- all they ever do in this school is is study like trivia of Roman history and with a little bit of Latin thrown in, which I'm like, you know, I'm professionally invested in teaching the classics. But do they have like math class? I don't know. We never see it. It, it seems to be this entire <laughs> boarding school is entirely dedicated to just knowing everything there is to know about the Roman Empire. That being said, I would be pumped for that contest. <laughs> like, I would be, oh, yeah. <laughs> I love trivia. So, like, and trivia of, like, the ancient Mediterranean world, I'm like, yes, bring it. Did you, because I imagine you found yourself like me when we were watching the actual trivia portions of it when you was like, which of these emperors is not in the list? And I went, Claudius, it's Claudius. Claudius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, shouting out the answers at my, at my TV. <laughs> yep, I definitely yelled the answers at my TV the whole time, which is... Mm-hmm. I mean, that that was the thing. It's like, I love trivia. I hate teaching to trivia because I, like, that was just it is all of this just became about the, like, most of the questions are about the emperors, like, Mm -hmm. all the leaders. And it's like, there's so much else going on in the world that, like. This is one of my first notes was, like, the sort of, the kind of Kevin Klein's whole shtick is, like, I am teaching you about the great men, emphasis on men of history Mm -hmm. so you can be great men just men and you know and it's pure like this kevin klein's whole like pedagogical his whole ethos is really like doubles down on like i guess what we we would call great man history right Mm -hmm. where like the study of history is just studying the achievements and accomplishments of individually exceptional men capital m yeah and they are the ones that sort of move the needle of history which I think even in 2002 was a bit date. I mean, I know that the movie is set in 1976, but. 
But one of the girls says, duh. That was, yeah, <laughs> like, wait, that's 2000s right there. I thought we're in the 70s. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I did really notice that too, where he was like, these are the great men, the contributors to mm-hmm. history. And I'm like, well, what did Julius Caesar contribute to Gaul but genocide? Like, what are you, like, what are we idolizing here yeah. by calling these the great men of history which is a a facet and a feature of like old school classics learning and it's something that i think the the field has been trying to unlearn and step away from for the past 30 years at least and and i mean in that sense it is i guess kind of true to the period that in 1976 i imagine you would could probably expect to get a sort of lecture like that maybe yes but it seems to me that the movie doesn't the movie sort of seems to accept that at face value as like this yes. is the purpose of education and also of learning the classics, mm-hmm. which also is going to lead me to my other big point, which is uh, justice for Shutrik Nahunte. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, that infuriated <laughs> so much because it wasn't a matter of like he didn't contribute anything. It's like, I'm going to curse so much today. Bullshit. Like, it's just <laughs> like, oh, no, it's because he is a sovereign of what we call today the Middle East. The alarm. Context. So, uh, you know, I guess Kevin Klein's character has been teaching this class basically for like 30 something years. And his like his opening move, like, you know, because some teacher, I don't know if you you two do this, but you have like kind of an opening. I haven't really done enough classes repeatedly to be able to like figure this out. But like your big sort of like opening gambit. And his is he makes a student read this plaque in the background that is. You know, it's about this guy. I am like Shunchuk Nahunte, the king of Alam, and I did blah, 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 blah. And then, and he's like, have any of you ever heard of Shunchuk Nahunte? And they're all like, no. And it's like, that's because he didn't contribute anything to history. And oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> and as Christy was just saying, I think it's not that he didn't, I don't think he necessarily contributed any more or less than maybe Julius Caesar. It's just Julius Caesar was a Roman. And so we give him a little bit more. An entire trivia contest of which people spend yes. millions of dollars. Also, if you're going to name a trivia contest after a Roman, Julius Caesar isn't, he's not like, he wasn't like he was known for, I mean, he was a smart guy and very well read as far as we can tell, but like he wasn't like trivia master or, you know, no. uh, yeah. I, don't know. I feel like Mr. Cicero would have been a, yeah, other, I guess, but then, you know what, Julius Caesar works because for, for these boys, learning is all about conquering. So like, I guess it tracks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 I'm making so many faces, you guys. Like, it's I know. Because <laughs> I, I wrote down this note, actually. Shuchuk de Hunte, real guy. He was king of yes. Alam in from 1184 to 1155 BC. And that inscription, actually, that they read is more or less, there's an actual, like, victory mm-hmm. stele. You can find it on Wikipedia. It's actually cool as hell if you looked at the picture. Yeah, the picture is really cool. Yeah, and it's got, so it's got, a, a, a like, a picture of, like, all these, like, guys fighting. And in the top right corner in cuneiform is this little inscription that says, I am Shutrup Nahunte, beloved servant of the god in Shushinak, king of Ansham and Susa, you know, and I did this, this, which is also, like, a lot of near eastern kingdoms and like analytic mm-hmm. history reads a lot like that like i took a hittite course in grad school and it's like i am Shubupa uma and i like took this many men and i conquered the gaskins and then we went to this city but so yeah but he but he says it's like nobody you're like you'll never hear about shutruk nahunte in a history book and i'm like well where did you hear about him <laughs> yeah yeah and also like what history book are you reading and who has written that history book and mm-hmm. you know why was that history book written there's so much of our history that i think has been like funneled into 
like this determinism of, oh, we talk about this so much because it's so important, but it's just what old white British men wanted to talk about. And that's why we think it's important. (laughs) And it's also that we've talked about this sort of at length a little bit of like this sort of false narrative that's been a thing since basically the Enlightenment or the Renaissance, you know, constructed of like there was Greece and then there was Rome and then there was Western Europe. And it's like, that's the line. And it completely sort of allies, like, for example, the importance that like the Islamic world played in transporting these texts or the way knowledge flows, the way ideas sort of flowed between Europe and North Africa and the Middle East and then further East and Mm -hmm. South and things like that. And like, not that Greece and Rome aren't sort of foundational in many ways, but sort of making them that they are like these, these exceptional exclusive, like the Greek miracle, we would call Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, and you know, it was so interesting because one of the opening shots of him setting up his classroom for the the new semester. And the textbook placed on is like ancient Mediterranean history. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's really, uh, that's what I want to call my history classes that are Greek and Roman oriented. Like I want to broaden it out. And then it, and then it's like, all right, we're going to acknowledge the Greeks are somehow involved there, but then it, it goes straight to all Roman and almost all Roman political military. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And it's just like, that is the pipeline I absolutely hate. So. Yeah, I had the same thought because I, yeah, even today, I feel like we very much sort of push out or kind of forget to include the fact that North Africa and the Middle East are a part of Mediterranean history mm-hmm. <laughs> in a big way. And we, yeah, don't ever seem to really connect those dots. And I, I do think that the field is trying so much to be better and especially to step out of that great man history. And it felt very jarring to watch this movie and just yeah. see that. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, even also, like, so the first scene we, we were joking about in the beginning, like the first sort of pedagogical moment we get from Kevin Klein is a young, first of all, I guess we, we should ask, this movie is a weird who's who of child actors who will bl- blow up. And so, cause we yep. encounter a young Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> who has who the hit- best glow up of all of them. <laughs> yes. Oh That's yeah. True. yeah. Jesse Eisenberg is played by Patrick Dempsey, which is a statement. <laughs> that, that, that. Uh, if somebody looked at a teenage Jesse Eisenberg, I'm like, I see a young Patrick Dempsey in that guy. <laughs> You know, the kind of like that, that cool, casual handsomeness that, that Patrick Dempsey exudes. Jesse, I, that's what I get. Not a not a nebbish, awkward. Uh, yeah, I was like, I couldn't place who Patrick Dempsey was supposed to be for the longest time in the, until the contest. I'm like, that's who he's supposed well, to be supposed to be. This is one of those weird accidents where like the film, I mean, 2002, like we didn't know that Jesse Eisenberg was going to be as big of a deal as he would end up being or that Paul Dano. Paul Dano. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, they're just like kid actors. They're all like in there. They're all teenagers. I think Emil Hirsch would have been like 17 when this movie came out. So he was probably like 16 or 15 when they filmed it. So yeah, funny in retrospect to think that this movie is predicting that Jesse Eisenberg is going to grow up into Patrick Dempsey. But (laughs) (laughs) anyways, anyways, the first like pedagogical moment that Kevin Klein has is he encounters like Jesse Eisenberg is like running across the running across running across the quad and kevin klein's basically like stay on the path walk the path that others that walked before you which i was like just that beat i was like that is 
we're all kind of sighing. So like, I know. It was cringeworthy. It really was. Let's just, like, remain in the status quo, right? Yeah. It's like the way that things are are the way they're supposed to be, which means white and male, right? Yep. <laughs> which when you, like, lay that over the whole, like, Roman history. And because it really feels that, like, I'm training you boys to, like, be the next Cicero and the next Julius Caesar and the next whoever, putting these men literally up on pedestals. And, you know, when, like Eli said, like Julius Caesar, you know, waged an illegal war to escape his debtors (laughs) and and lined his own pockets and built his sort of political career on like the blood of Gaul. And Cicero, I mean, you know, was a good public speaker, but also maybe kind of a dick. Um, (laughs) Well, and like one of the lines towards the end, I forget who they were quoting, but it was when he was opening the textbook he'd given Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forever ago, and like two of like two of the lines from it that like it was conquer giants and then show mercy once we've conquered. And I'm like, that's paternalistic benevolence. It's awful. Why are we like? And then like they just have such a look of awe. And I'm like, no, question Why? this. Yes, <laughs> which yeah. is okay. We don't bring this to one of my pedagogical 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 <laughs> we're good we're good oh my we're god good. i cannot words it's friday and i'm so f- tired oh, when emil hirsch joins the class and he's mm-hmm. sort of very much from the beginning just like kind of a, a dick student who's just like doesn't want to listen and it's like we've all had those students we've all met those students like what like fine i've whatever. never had an emil hirsch level of student that would okay be- i mean yeah. he was that's because was it's terrible. high school <laughs> And college yes. students are paying for the pleasure to sit through our classes. Yes. And they don't want to get their money's never, worth. Yes. I've never taught high school. And I'm sure that that is a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Teaching college is, I treat them like adults because they are. Yeah. And like, particularly like teaching a, a bunch of young Brett Kavanaugh's. <laughs> exactly. No, it sounds mm-hmm. horrific and terrible. But when he, when they read Shakespeare's Julius Caesar and. Why? Why? Anyway, whatever, whatever. I kept having flashbacks to the Mean Girls, where it's like we should totally stab Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like he what he's Brutus, right? Yeah, Neil yes. Hirsch is Brutus, and he mm-hmm. he like doesn't want to read it because he's like I don't agree. He's like mm-hmm. I think their plan is stupid. I'm like that is like an opening. That is mm-hmm. an opportunity. Mm-hmm to have your students debate, to have them talk, to actually engage them with the material and not be a, I don't even, he was such a dick about it. Kevin Klein was was like, (laughs) oh, so what? He doesn't agree with the way Shakespeare has written an ancient Roman character? Like, of course not. Like this is the stupidest argument to have and sent up so many red flags for me. Yeah. Oh, that that moment killed me in connection with the sidewalk thing because it really have either of you watched Abbott Elementary at all? No. no. Highly recommend. It is about uh, elementary school in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, and like it's the same. It's the same thing of like how do you effectively teach? And a guy was struggling, and his he's like a you know substitute teacher, and he's struggling like to like get students to focus on math. So he's asking a question. It's like, all right, Farmer Brown has five turkeys and he gives two away. How many turkeys does he have? And an elementary school kid raises his hand and says, and actually asks, is one of the turkeys pregnant? (laughs) And I'm like, that's a legitimate question. And he's telling the other teachers this in like the break room. And they're like, yeah, that's a great question. Answer it. And then keep going because it just... 
the the fact that our public schools do shut down curiosity and like by the collegiate level it's like i have students apologizing to me for asking questions i'm like you don't you don't have to apologize you really don't and then i see this and it's like this is why students feel like they have to apologize for asking a question because that was a legit question that was a legit critique of hey this doesn't seem like a great plan and kevin klein's just offended that it's like but Good men question whether or not assassinating someone is for the greater good or butchery. And I'm like, it's still murder. Well, Sedgwick's angle is that Brutus should have also murdered uh, Mark Anthony Anthony. and like every, yeah. 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 You know, because like he's a threat and he's going to like, he's going to be a problem for us later. So like I should be Brutus, I'm Brutus and I want to be, you know, king or whatever. And then Kevin Klein's like, but Brutus doesn't want to be king because he's good. (laughs) And this is all I think trying to set up that, you know, because Sedgwick is his dad is this senator who we can probably infer is is corrupt. And Sedgwick is at the end of the movie is running for Senate and will probably be a corrupt senator. Side note on that. If the worst thing a senator has ever done is cheated on a history trivia game. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. I would accept that. That I would would make my my peace with that. Yeah, yeah. I guess the the, the thesis is the cheating on the history trivia game is a bellwether for just general, you know, moral depravity. Like who else, you know, this this, Cedric's going to be on monkey business. Well, I think... I think it was weird sort of trying to like align the like the good character quote unquote like good characters who like studied and who were like into it with mm-hmm. people like Caesar and Augustus and Cicero. And I think of how they described Cedric Bell Emile Hirsch's character sort of later after he doesn't win his first Mr. Julius Caesar contest. Mm-hmm. Um, they said that he had this like, you know, hypnotic charisma around his peers that he Mm -hmm. you know pushed back against authority and i'm like all of those things that you say about cedric bell like people said about octavian like Mm -hmm. he had this weird charismatic quality he was kind of a dick or alcibiades or alcibiades (laughs) i'm like these are the great men that you're talking about they don't give a shit about cheating i'm like what would Mark Antony do? What would Julius Caesar do? They wouldn't give a shit if they cheated on an exam. Yeah. <laughs> like he is the the through line, right? Like he mm-hmm. is the through line of your of your Roman your Roman senator. I and it just infuriates me. <laughs> At the very end when when Kevin Klein's being helicoptered away, he says like as a student of history, like I know that Sedgwick will probably have like a successful career you know there's something he says something to the fact that it's like having studied history i know that men like sedgwick tend to get ahead in life because he's augustus because he's like (laughs) case in point augustus yeah (laughs) well and it goes back to that point of like walking the sidewalk that everyone else has walked before you don't make a name for yourself good or bad Mm-hmm. And like that's, sure. and then that was what he ran into him for himself when he was trying to go up for headmaster. Is like I've done all, everything right that I was supposed to, and you're not giving me the job because I don't know how to schmooze. <laughs> so there's a scene towards the end where the old headmaster dies, and Kevin Klein's like, "Great, I'm next up for headmaster because I've put in my time, you know, and I'm the next scene. I am the most senior person here." And then the board basically informs him. 
no, we're giving it to this younger guy who like has ideas and like knows how to fundraise and like thinks progressively is what I can assume. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kevin Klein is like, this is an outrage. I am, you know, tendering my resignation. And then I was like, I wrote him my notes. I'm like, no, I would have given it to that other guy. Like he sounds like yeah. Kevin Klein's way is the way of tradition, which is the way that leads to programs getting shut down. But yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And, and his sort of this, I'm now resigning kind of thing is like, did you, was that going to be your contribution? Like listen to your own lectures, right? Like, are you mm-hmm. just after the glory? Do you want to mm-hmm. be Augustus or do you think that you're just Shuchuk Nahunta or like <laughs> it was his own like position in, in history that I think is kind of funny. There's a part where Sedgwick's dad, he has a meeting with Sedgwick's dad, the Senator. And the Senator says, he's like, so like, what's the point of like what you teach? And Kevin Klein's like, isn't it obvious? Or, or, or you know, or I for, like I forget exactly what he says, but he's yeah. like, oh, I'm like molding the character of your son, and you know, and, and that's such like in in some ways like it's an answer that I mean not just classics, but a lot of like like that kind of like what's because every you know every other month or something like that the news you know sort of like why we need the classics or the humanities or. Mm-hmm liberal arts or whatever it is and and there's such a tendency to fall back on the same kind of like they teach you know character critical thinking or you know this like and it's like the same kind of wool that gets kind of spun out very often like Mm -hmm. that line that kevin klein delivered in presumably 1976 people were wheeling out in 2000 and even Mm -hmm. even today people will occasionally and it's like I'm losing my train of thought on where I want to go. Well, with this, and he but. he tried to also what's the word form the response to the senator's position is like, well, our entire government is based upon what the Greeks and Romans did. Uh, yeah. It's like ours, and um, you know, one thing I I get really mad about in terms of we're building upon the systems of the greats is like those systems failed, and they weren't <laughs> a true democracy. They weren't yeah, yeah. like. <laughs> Yes. We built our system on failed systems. Yay, mm-hmm. us. Yay and, us. Well, and like Athens is, you know, one, Athens as a democracy was one kind of short-lived. It was it was a yeah. sort of brief yeah. but glorious thing. It was short-lived. It ended in a sort of long protracted war and in which they committed war crimes and, and did, a, you know, a mob rule took over and there was all sorts of political infighting and Rome's Republic similarly got like bogged down in political partisanship and then which devolved into civil war, which then turned into an absolute monarchy. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, the idea was like, I guess like, there's like the word, I guess the word that's missing is like, I think it is, it is good to study the systems upon which our system is modeled and inspired. But like the, the missing word is critical. Yes. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we need to we need to study these things like critically. Think about Absolutely. like what are they in which ways like are because there, there are let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like there's good ideas and 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 just also it's just kind of interesting just as a purely like from like a voyeuristic standpoint. It's just kind of like interesting to like learn about these like you know, all the weird stuff that happens and it's, it's all Absolutely. Wild, yeah. wild and wonderful and like kind of cool. But like to think with an eye of like. This wasn't the end all be all of civilization. Yeah. Which Kevin Klein seems to. Well, Kevin, I keep saying Kevin Klein, like he, you know, is this man. <laughs> well, I, based on the trivia notes you put down, he almost felt a lot like, I mean, he had that upbringing, right? He did go to a school that was very similar to this one, where, funnily enough, Emil Hirsch went to a public school in LA, like a big public school. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> 
I asked Nick what he remembered about this movie because when I told him I was watching The Emperor's Club, he just goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he basically just remembered like the plot-ish and the fact that a girl at the girls' school like almost takes her top off. Yes, a few yes. of them do. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> but that is what stood out <laughs> about this movie years it later. Look... Okay, I watched the preview before watching it with Andy, and it's like, this looks like a Dead Poet Society knockoff, like well, hardcore. It is, and it also is like the antithesis, right? Because Dead yeah. Poet Society is all about like, don't stand, like, don't color within the lines, don't stay in the lane, you know, get up yeah. on your desk, like, you know, poetry Rip is not the pages to be like... out of your book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah God. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, the whole thing is, is Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society is like, use art to like, you know, find your truth or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, creative expression. That's what it's all about. Like, rebel yeah. against authority, you know, break away. Whereas Kevin Klein in this one, who kind of physically reminisces Robin Williams and Dead Poets Society. Like, he does kind of look like him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Kevin Klein is all like, do what all of the other men have done before you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, which is almost more realistic because the group he is speaking to is like, because it has worked mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. Don't don't rock the boat, people. <laughs> he, I mean, he's he, this is like... This is the the waspiest school ever. And, you know, these oh. are all like we, we get the idea that this is like all these are like the sons of senators and congressmen and, and business leaders or, or whatever and lawyers, mm-hmm. you know, and like mm-hmm. these are all this is the one percent that are being groomed to be the one percent. And that one Indian kid right? who is smart. Well, I wrote in my news. Deepak was going to win anyways. Like he yeah. just won on his own merits and he was great. Which yeah. I appreciate. At least at least they did that. Yeah. Who's played, his adult version is played by Rahul Khanna, who is like a big time Bollywood actor and almost didn't take this role because he thought it was going to be too small time for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty small time for a big time Bollywood actor. But... He gotta wear a toga. Because <laughs> I guess like I mean, the idea is like, not to like, well, maybe to get to the end. The kind of thesis of this movie is like Kevin Klein is like, I have failed said you know he really was investing a lot of his chips in sedgwick and like sedgwick turning out to be a cheat and to be morally flawed breaks kevin klein a little bit Mm -hmm. and you know he kind of considers himself a failure as an educator because of this this failure of a student but then at the end he bullshit yeah (laughs) we'll come back to that i won't put a pin in that well yeah Yeah. and then the end all of the students kind of rally around kevin klein and he's like oh yes i had all these other students who turned out excellent you know paul dano's character who he kind of screwed over a little bit you know because he gave paul dano's spot to emile hirsch to be in the contest you know Although I I, can, I want to come back to that decision because yeah, I almost... that, that moment's important to discuss as yeah. Um, educators. Yeah, I have thoughts about it. And mm-hmm. but Paul Dano like turned out to be a great guy as his son comes in later and, and Deepak, the um also the actor, the kid's name is the real actor's name is Rishi Mehta and his character's name is Deepak Mehta. So I don't know if they just happen to have the same last name or if the screenwriters were just like whatever. <laughs> it does happen sometimes that like Yeah. But anyway, he was always smart and he was great. And, you know, he was intellectually curious because we have a scene where he's reading up on the Carthaginians and and Kevin Klein's like, oh, we're we're not studying the Carthaginians. And he's like, I know. And Kevin Klein's like, excellent work. You know, and like in all of his efforts in Sedgwick were kind of, you know, he kind of missed that he had all these other fantastic students, Mm -hmm. which are like his real legacy. Which is like, I feel like the... The sort of pull of the anti-hero, right? He's like the super charismatic, 
I don't know. With a different of... movie, Sedgwick's character in like Footloose, he's Kevin Bacon, yes. right? You yes. know, he's the disruptor. Exactly. He comes in and he's like, screw being dorks all the time. Let's go, let's steal a canoe and row across the lake to meet girls or whatever. Yes. You exactly. Know. Yeah. It's so it's the audience is rooting for him. Well, this movie frames as like a sign of his like his moral what's the word? And and there's there's it's so interesting with his character that the part with his father, like I get cheating as that kid. I totally mm-hmm. do. Yeah. I it does not surprise me at all. And the moment he shares talking about like finally maybe having an opportunity to have a real conversation where his dad hears him and his dad dies the minute he mm-hmm. starts speaking he's like that was just emblematic of my entire life and you do get these shots of him with his kids that shows that like he's invested he cares about his kids the way yeah. that his dad never did yeah and then like the heartbreaking moment that we're supposed to come to in the bathroom when uh, Kevin Klein confronts him about cheating again. He's like, well, I get away with it and this is how you win. And then his son comes out looking so disappointed in him. First of all, I don't know that the son would be that disappointed at that age. But it- So the son didn't wash his hands after the restroom. <laughs> which is- this is the thing that I always, whenever there's a bathroom scene, I always am mentally clocking whether or not the character is washing their hands after they use the bathroom and you would be surprised. I mean, I get why because like you don't want to like, it's probably hard to like film and you know, like the faucet and it kills the flow. But like you'd be surprised how rarely characters in movies wash their hands after they use the bathroom okay also i wonder i was also wondering if the boy that age is he gonna wash his hands i don't i don't know the kid's gonna go and like handle finger foods and put them back on the freaking tray (laughs) (laughs) but that was the that was the thing is like maybe maybe he's going to see the impact he has on his child but it's like he's already done so much better than his father he's not gonna give a he's he's just not like Yeah. I yeah yeah I don't know if that child that young would have understood really like the, yeah. the depth of that conversation. What I was actually hoping for, like when the one kid who showed up late, I thought th- I was hoping this would be a few years afterwards, and like this was actually Emil Hirsch's kid. Yeah, being like oh, my I, yeah. dad, I'm here to learn, and then I, you learn it's um the other guy's kid. Yeah, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Kid. But it yeah. could have been just like a little bit better, like a little more of a cherry on top. Yeah, yeah. but I, well, here's my sort of maybe counter argument, or I guess because in that situation, like I see where you're coming from, but that situation it still kind of becomes about Sedgwick again because yeah. it's like here's my chance to redeem myself with Sedgwick's scion, right. and you know with Paul Dano's character, it's like you were always a fantastic student, and I never really gave you your due diligence. You know, because mm-hmm. I, I was so kind of invested in trying to uh, redeem Sedgwick or, you know, I was so invested in Sedgwick that I kind of ignored that I had an already fantastic student in Paul Dano. And now his son's here and presumably his son will be also a fantastic student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Like the redemption doesn't have to come through. Yeah, point. and because like, like, the idea is like, you know, like there's always going to be dudes like Sedgwick and they're going to mm-hmm. have sons. Yeah. They're, they're going to have future Sedgwicks, maybe. Also, I mean, this Sedg- I'm surprised that kid didn't get bullied more for being named Sedgwick. But <laughs> Right? <laughs> while we're on Paul Dano, let's talk about like so the, the sort of critical, you know, moment, the choice yes. moment for Kevin mm-hmm. Klein's character yes. where he's getting, you know, he's been working with, with Emil Hirsch with Sedgwick and his grades are improving. He's doing better. He's getting invested. He's applying himself, which is, you know, like the wet dream for any teacher. And, you know, then he gets to the final tabulation and there's basically like a one point difference between the top three spots between Paul Dano and Emil Hirsch. And he fudges the grade a little bit to give Sedgwick that third spot. 
Whereas that's kind of devastating because Paul Dano's character, his dad won it back in the day. So he was like, he was kind of devastated by not getting it. I was going to say, like, one of the things that is very true in that moment to Klein's character is the fact that he didn't think of just having them tie and have four people compete. Right? That would be insane. They did that for the spelling bee. The national spelling bee had ties. Why couldn't he? And like, that's just it. It's like, why is he the only one in charge of assessing who gets to be in this contest? Yeah, this, this is the school's yes. biggest tradition. And it, it seems to exist entirely in this dude's classroom. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I said, I had this exact same thought where I was like, exactly. well, like, you know, you could be like, look, there's four really deserving students. Because it's also like the way he was tabulating it, it was like the top two spots. So Jesse Eisenberg and, mm-hmm. and Deepak Mehta were like, they were like 104, 103. Mm-hmm. And then there was like a 10, I made note of this. Then there was like a 10 point gap to yeah. third place. And then it was yeah. like a 93 and a 94. And then I don't know what the rest were. And yeah. he could have just been like, look, there's four students this year that are deserving. Like, and the real answer is because they didn't say this outright, but you can see it in like the memorabilia and stuff. But the contestants are triumvirs. So it's like, so we need yeah. three. But there were four emperors when they split up the whole thing. Come on. New traditions. Also, also like you have like duum wears or quattro wears or say wears like as magistrates of different towns. Like my overly extra solution would have been, okay, in the second triumvirate, there were the three triumvirs, but there was also a sexist Pompey who was like Heck the secret fourth, yes. who was like the secret fourth triumvir. I love it. I love it. So we have like the special spot. And I would make yeah. it like an overly elaborate contest where there's like the sexist Pompey gets like extra rules and like weird <laughs> it gets like weird handy there's like weird handicaps and bonuses that are being added, but um. That would be incredible. <laughs> I would love that. But no, it's like he's staying the path, right? He's like nope. doing the exact same thing that everybody else has done before. There has always been three, so there has to be three, and there can be no exceptions. But this is like, if I were in that position as an educator, I probably might have made the same choice as Kevin Klein, where I you you have to kind of weigh if like weighing all things. Mm-hmm. Paul Dano, we understand, is a great student and will continue to be a great student regardless of the Julius Caesar contest. Whereas with Sedgwick, like if he gets into this contest, that's like a huge, potentially pivotal moment. And it's not like the grading of their short essays is like the hardest at most absolute science. And there was a one point at the end of the day, there was a one point difference between the two. And so mm-hmm. like, you yeah. know, I've definitely yeah. gone over and like their students were like, you know, I, I like I really want them to do well or like do like even like for many students i feel like even just getting positive affirmation yes mm-hmm. can do so much absolutely and i think i think i think that's just that moment i connected with as an educator because it, it was a recognition that as educators we are not objective we yeah, no. are cognizant of other factors than just what is put in front of us like mm-hmm. what are the circumstances what do i know to be the efforts of this individual and then their circumstances right exactly like, yes. Exactly. And that's why I'm like, if this is a contest that is well known throughout the school, it should not be a single person because a single no one is objective, but at least amongst a group, you can hold Mm -hmm. some accountability to it. And like, I think that was 
he just put himself in such a bad position to begin with of making that call that I totally understand and get as yeah. an educator. Yeah. But like no, when I've it comes to that. this, yeah. mm-hmm. if it's a matter of a student's grade and the the effort and like that's the reward for themselves, yeah, you do that. But when it, it when it's especially because I don't know that he was aware. But no, he knew his father's history. He knew that kid's father yeah. had won it before. Totally, he met with the father. He totally, like, yeah. after his meeting with the father, he's like, I get it. Your father's an asshole. Oh, I meant the other guy. The other guy who he. Um, oh, oh. Like, no, I think he down. knew. He, I think he, no, he, he knew. He did what, know. Yeah, he did know that his father had won before because when they go to see the Julius Caesar statue, it's like, oh, I believe your father was one. It's like, can you point yeah. him out? And mm-hmm. and so he yeah. knew that it was a legacy thing. And like at this school, legacy, everyone knows what it means to be a legacy. Like that, mm-hmm. it, yeah. that also should have been a consideration of how yeah. impactful that decision was going to be on both individuals and again the solution obvious solution to me was all right we'll just have four people this year like yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah there's only one winner why can't there be four finalists yeah exactly no but i i agree colin i feel the pull of like making that a minus that a plus and like Mm -hmm. the the sort of like encouragement that you could give Mm -hmm. to a student who hasn't maybe felt that before who hasn't been excited about doing something learning based before just gotten interested and like wants to succeed maybe for the wrong reasons maybe for the right reasons like who Mm -hmm. who cares like it's it's you know wanting to take care of your students and I totally see that I wanted can I connect that to another moment that that to me also really resonated with the struggle I have as an educator is when Sedgwick is going to the librarian and asking for a book and the Mm -hmm. librarian is adamant. I am being fair to all students by holding everyone accountable to these same regulations. And then this white professor guy steps in. I was like, well, I'm vouching for him. And I'm like, doesn't matter. That does like there. Yeah. It's like, not saying that I, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> the feeling. Do you feel there should be a level of objectivity in terms of like, I want to be fair to all of my students. And so I have to hold a particular, like you have to hold the line somewhere. Yeah. Like if you can incorporate all sorts, like that's the question we have about accessibility of a course too. Like yeah. how do I, instead of giving special exceptions to students because they come to me with a letter of uh, accommodations. How can I design my course so that that is not necessary? It meets the needs of all students. And like, that's what we're really striving towards. But like, you know, speaking up, vouching for one student to actually give them the advantage in this, even if it's meant to encourage, I don't agree with that choice. And like, I understand why the librarian is upset. Like, I totally get that feeling. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to connect those two moments because it was such a weird, like on the one hand, yes, I agree of encouraging through that, giving him this chance to compete in the trivia, but at the same time, by giving him a resource that no one else has access to in the same way is problematic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. No, I think about the graduate exams that... I have a story that, um, Eli, you, you go first. <laughs> well, no, I think about there are certain books in the library that are earmarked for these are on graduate comp exams. Therefore, 
they have a two hour checkout window yeah. where you can take them to your office for two hours, but you have to bring them back or yeah. they have an in library use only. Mm-hmm. So you can sit in the library and you can read them however long you want, but you have to leave them there because the same 24 hours, like your other cohort members are going to come looking for the same book. And it's the same thing. It's like you all, you can't just check out a book and then like there was <laughs> none of your others. Yeah. So a little bit of context. When I did my comp exams, the way it worked for me was we had one of the sort of parts of the comp exam was basically like a, um, a commentary where we would get some passages of, of Latin text or Greek text, actually. But the, the incident in question happened with the Latin exam. And so normally, like, the professors will try to, like, they will put these books on, like, exactly like Eli was saying, like, course reserve, two-hour, like, in-library only, the idea being, like, you go in, you scan the sections you need, and, you, and then you walk out or whatever. Um, but, like, for the exact, like, so, you know, everybody has equal access. There was a sort of incident where, so, like, we got the exam for the Latin uh, in question on, like, a Thursday or a Friday. And we're in one of the sections was a, a passage of Tacitus. And there was like there was like one very big, very important Tacitus commentary that was in the library and it was checked out. And we were all like all of the other like, oh, there was like, you know, six other grad students with me. And they're like, who the they're like, did you check it out? I didn't check it out. Did you check it out? And we tracked it down. We figured out which who had it. It was I'm going to bleep this out later. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I, I, knew, I knew who it was, but I and, and we were like, we, we know who has it checked out. We all, like, because we only have, like, the weekend, basically. And, like, we all need to, like, get access to this fucking book. And some students, this is also, again, I think, good and bad graduate students. Is some graduate students are real fucking champs where they, like, they got the book first and they scanned a bunch of the sections and just emailed mm-hmm. everyone. And they're like, here's all the chapters yeah and we were like thank you but there was a moment we were like there was like a friday afternoon and we were like banging on this kid's office everyone was texting him we're like where the f- are you where the fuck's <laughs> the test of this commentary um <laughs> i'll kill you and then and then to, in the passage of tests was like i'm gonna create desolation and i'm gonna call it peace which is actually the section in question we were had to do a commentary on but oh my god uh, it's, uh that was a deep cut nerd joke for all you tacitus fans out there i'll be with you all night this is a dj smooth okay um well and that goes back to this idea of you know accessibility in terms of when you create a competition like this you either cannot give the advantage to anyone, but the better solution is, is like give the advantage to everyone. Like mm-hmm. be the student who takes the book and scans a PDF for everyone exactly. so that everyone has access to it. Because like I remember one of my professors as an undergrad telling me stories about how funding in certain departments, how exams, like they're so competitive that yeah. grad students will actively hide books yes. this from was each thing. other. Mm-hmm. I and have it's heard- like what bullshit is that? I've I have heard stories of this. Fortunately, never experienced it myself. Mm-hmm. But of like, Same. I mean, this yeah. is to going back to uh, we were talking about like why Sedgwick cheats, and this is like a system which is so rooted in like competition and excellence and top five mm-hmm. or something that is like very much a system that's going to encourage that kind of behavior. It's going to encourage mm-hmm. cheating. It's going to encourage sabotaging others. Yep. You know, where like there can only be three people past the post. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not only do you have to like get your do whatever you can to get yourself out in front, but like sabotage those who might get there before you. Absolutely. Which is a deeply mm-hmm. unhealthy academic climate. Oh, it's yeah. terrible. 
absolutely terrible. Yeah, because the goal is like everyone should learn, not everyone should win. Mm-hmm. Like that's not what learning mm-hmm. is. Exactly. Yeah. That's the same like the same kind of stuff you hear about like people who create courses that are meant to weed out the yes. weaklings. And I'm yep. like that just tells me you're a bad teacher that you can't make this material accessible to every student who comes to you. And I'm not saying like people who have students who fail despite best efforts, like that's on you, but mm-hmm. if you are intentionally setting it up that way, Yep. That, yep. You're not an educator, in this my comes humble back opinion. To my to the pin that I put earlier on, sort of Kevin Klein saying that he had like failed Sedgwick in in some way. I just I like felt a visceral like reaction to that. I was like, hell no! He made his choices. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. was an adult for half of this movie, and he made choices. He doubled down on the choices that yeah. he made as a teenager and like that's none of that is your fault and i think there is so much on like uh what is it like high school teachers who have like you know how much of your class is passing Mm -hmm. or like how much of the high school is graduating or something Mm -hmm. like that it's like part of it is you know structural society and the economic institutions that keep our students from succeeding and it is no fault of our teachers. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say like what I connect with in that description though, you know, it's the same as reading reviews at the end of the semester is like you could have yeah. 19 glowing reviews, but that one long negative comment about your class <laughs> is what sits with you for years of course like, it does yes and so i i got the set like i i understood the sentiment for sure yes, and i i agree. i, I would have i maybe felt more guilty about like what had happened in 1976 and my sure. role in it because even sedgwick coming out it's like why don't you call me out were you afraid of my dad too? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I could have felt some things yeah. that I would have felt guilty about. But once he's a grown man who's paid millions of dollars out of pocket to recreate the whole thing just to cheat again. Again. Yeah. That's him. That's all him at that point. <laughs> I did also, I empathize with the the silent character of the grad student who we paid a couple hundred bucks to. <laughs> to I would have taken that gig in a freaking like, – oh, Can you yeah. imagine you know, coming through <laughs> the list and it's like – That would have been me. Centric billionaire hosting Roman trivia contest, need grad student to like help feed answers. I would like <laughs> respond immediately like that's my – I also ask for a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, in. You, you, you would uh, bargain up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. Yep. It's like you know, sweeten the steel just a little bit, and stab some a nice bottle of wine on the side, and we're good. We're good. Oh. I have no qualms. <laughs> yeah. No, I would totally. Have. Oh yeah. No, like nothing against that grad student whatsoever. Oh, like no, you do not at all. You do you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and like the first cheating, I will say it was very sneaky. His cheating the first time or the the second time, but the first cheating is like, uh, the, yeah, it was like, the... it took you like twenty rounds to figure out that guy's cheating because like, <laughs> yeah, and, and also yeah, Kevin Klein was the only guy that noticed that Emil right? Hirsch every time he got a question, he like took twenty seconds to like look down into I his toga. And Mester knew also is like, I need that donation from the. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. right. That's right. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Deepak just had to look to his right. He would have been like, oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My my other thing is I like the in the second contest. I liked the question he asked because that was a question the whole class knew. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, the plaque, man, the plaque. I got really mad about how he caught him during the original contest because he tailored that question to exactly. Deepak. Yeah, like, he knew it. No one else would have necessarily known that. You could have asked any random question, but you asked one you knew he to would be know. fair, how do you talk about Roman history without talking about Hannibal? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. well, also, one I'm other sorry. thing. He was on the wrong side of history, Lige. <laughs> Emil Hirsch wasn't in the classroom when they did the whole Shutrik Nahunta thing. It was it's still over the there. door the it whole time. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's like, I guess that's also like students who don't read my syllabus. It's like, it's literally been there the whole semester, guys. Well, yeah, because they even like call out to him. He's like, it was over the door, man. Like, don't you, didn't you see it? Don't you remember reading it every day? Like they mm-hmm. spent, what, four years in this room mm-hmm. and he never read it? Here's take a second to just talk about the nature of the trivia and like trivia as education. Because as education, yes. As a competitive person who used my noggin for things, I like what Netflix has a trivia crack episodes going right now, and I am all about that. Like I'm like, yes. Yeah. I love trivia and I love winning at trivia and I love rubbing it in people's faces when I win at trivia. Mm My friends can attest. I, I attest, yes. I have yes. great fun to hang out with. But but it becomes like there is like a pedagogical flaw where like, I mean, again, so much in the way that Kevin Klein's classroom is so, even though he's teaching in 1976, his classroom is in like 1919. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, it's just the memorization and recitation of facts yeah. and factoids. And the problem is like those become abstract. They just become like things that people memorize and repeat, but they don't like when a student says the battle of Lake Tresemme is in 217 BCE. I'm not even sure if that's right. It's more or less. But like that that doesn't mean anything to them. It has no like value. Yeah. And like we talk in, yeah. in education of like a hierarchy of learning, you know, and the baseline is just the ability Fact. to recite and yeah. re- remember. But like yeah. real education and thinking and, and, and teaching and learning happens when you're like, when you know what that means and you can start to like connect and, and create and analyze these kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And you like think about how many people actually died at the battle of Lake Trasimene and think about mm-hmm. what the the reports of that did to the populace in Rome and the fear that went through the city and the sort of like the the effect that that had on the policies that came next and like mm-hmm. those are the connections and like that's that's real history. Just yeah, like the causes the and the effects. effects. Which Exactly. To his credit, the quizzes that lead up to the trivia contest seem to be evaluative questions. Like the questions yes. that they were getting were like, true, true. you know, what were the effects of the Gracchi's, you know, policy on mm-hmm. Roman Republic? Which is like a, you know. Which is yeah. basically what I answered on our like Roman history exam. Like yeah, that's the question yeah. we still ask today. Yeah, <laughs> it's a question that is, it has no s- singular simple answer. It's multivalent. Yes. It's like there's a lot of things you can, but it does rely on your not. It relies on your knowledge of historical events and like cause and effects and and things mm-hmm. like that. That's why I love archaeology courses and hate art history courses, which are almost the exact same thing, except 
there's such a huge hang up on dates and like individuals. And I definitely understand needing to understand the chronology and order of things. But like, I was so frustrated. It's like having to be within 50 years of the correct date for this particular statue or something. And like, you know, I get but for an archaeologist, it's it's all relative. It's like, everything feeds into everything else and art influences culture art is part of culture but like culture they represent culture norms and culture norms inform politics politics reinforces those it all goes to hell when military things happen Um, and so that's just it is you know i want my students to know the dates for the conquest of central Mexico by the Spaniards, not because it's like you need to know those dates for the sake of knowing the dates, but because, all right, now let's look at our sources for those events. When did Cortez write? When was the Florentine Codex made? How does the year of production impact how that event is remembered? Like that's what's important about dates. It's not context. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I don't I don't give multiple choice questions <laughs> for a lot of my <laughs> classes for that reason because students can argue and and if they're good they argue effectively and like you're right this can't be just simplified by four possible choices yeah of a correct answer which is why I like making students argue or like having students express their opinion it's like you feel this way about this material great tell me about it. Like, use your information that you have. Tell me everything that you know and why you feel this way. Mm-hmm. Better yet, even why I think the Mean Girls analysis of Julius Caesar is one of the best pieces of pedagogy because <laughs> it's like she's connecting, Gretchen uh, Wiener is connecting it to her own life, which exactly. is like the highest point. It's like, Wiz, when you're seeing a connection between the events of Julius Caesar and what's going on in your high school social circle, exactly. that's, a, that's a breakthrough where it's like, yes, we should totally just stab Caesar. Stab Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like a similar thing is happening here, but like, I mean, I guess in Mean Girls, like the teacher is just like, what the hell is going on? But like, (laughs) um, in this one, Kevin Klein is like, no, your analysis is wrong. Or, or it's just like, like, like Sedgwick, like, why do you think that? Yeah, exactly. I was just gonna say, it's like, can we bring it back to this point of why are you using a William Shakespeare play a question (laughs) about that what is their curriculum (laughs) because like if you are uh, and i'm thinking 1976 is a little early for reception studies like if you are discussing of this important important turning point historical event in roman history and how it has been reimagined over the years and you're using that to demonstrate it okay that makes sense but he's literally like yes this was brutus's thought process as he was (laughs) contemplating killing Caesar. And I'm like, no. I mean, it's this larger problem of like certain people like Cicero, like Julius Caesar, like Shakespeare, just get like a pass of be like, these were the oracles of history or whatever. Like these like, Mm -hmm. like, whatever Julius, I almost said Julius Shakespeare. Um, (laughs) Well, just put it up. should be like my stage name, Julius Shakespeare, I feel like would be a really good stage name. Um, No, 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 no. Oh, don't tell me you wouldn't go to see a performer named Julia Shakespeare. You know I would. You know I would. (laughs) No, no. It it, like it it just reinforced the like the great like Western civilization got bandied about there a few times, and his course was Western Civ. That was yeah. Well, and like, but drawing a line from like, I'm like, no, no, stop it. (laughs) 
Stop it. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I had to read Julius Caesar in high school, right? Like, yeah. doesn't everybody? I've still Whatever. never read it. Really? I had to memorize, I had to memorize Friends, Roman Countrymen. So, like, actually recite it. That's, that's fun. Like, <laughs> I, I almost see it as like a, as like a reception piece. And I, yeah. I know that that's not how they were using it. But like, I think of today when we show our students like clips from HBO Rome. Mm-hmm. I, I love doing that because it's like a different view. And so I, I, I kind of like thinking about Shakespeare as like a different view of ancient history, you know, Recep- as a reception study. Yes. Great. Great use of it. Not Great what he was doing. Yeah. Not what he was what, doing. One of my favorite questions, um, right now we've entered, I'm, I'm teaching a mythology course right now. We've entered into the epics, which is like the back half of my class. So we just did the Iliad last week. We're going to do the Odyssey and the Aeneid. And one of my favorite questions, one of my favorite questions to ask students when we read just whatever, attic drama or ancient epics is like, who would you cast? And, and and it changes sort of every year, but it's like, who like who comes to mind? Like, what's the energy? What's the look? What's the feel, you know, and the correct and the secret correct answer to all of them is Danny DeVito, which I would totally love to see a Danny DeVito Achilles. Every time, every time I picture it, it just delights me more and more. I would, I would pay good money to see Danny DeVito as Achilles. <laughs> I, I like that idea a lot. Apparently, so another Netflix show that is very popular right now, and it's a longstanding Japanese show that does like there's six minute shorts and there's a tradition in Japan that before children go to school because most students most students walk to school by themselves is like they get their first errand where they have to like go outside the house and do something and they're like four or five years old and now i'm just kind of like i want five-year-olds doing the iliad because i feel like that would work really well actually (laughs) what i'm reminded of this is a weird my memory into a weird place sorry so in a bug's life there's a part where like the Boy Scout Girl Scout troop puts on like a like a dramatic reenactment of the yes. bug battle, and it's like yeah, incre- yeah. it's like incredibly violent, and like people are getting like dissected and like, and, like yeah, killing die, each other. Die, die. <laughs> yeah, that would be like the kindergarten Iliad. But just that a bunch is what of, I like, want. Five year olds like, and then the spear entered through the back of the mouth and came out the front, and his eyeball was attached to the tip of the spear. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Wait, can you I, just imagine the argument between Agamemnon and Achilles? <laughs> You're it. a sack of wine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, second to that. Dog face. Is, is, is the Muppet, the Muppet version of the Iliad, which I would pay. Good I want to see, like, I mean, I wonder what the violence quota is, or like what, like what the Muppet stance is on violence I feel like they're not like not a lot of violence. Miss Piggy, you might just have to have a lot of Miss Piggy I doing mean, stuff. Yeah, no, but I mean, yeah, like, Muppet, Muppet Treasure Island. There are sword fights. Yeah, but nobody gets like their arm chopped off or anything. Oh, I mean, fine, that's true. <laughs> that re- that reminds me of another. I'm throwing so many shows out, but there is a uh, gosh, what is it called? Doom Patrol on HBO Max, which is yeah. another DC comic. And there's like one where Jane, who has dissociative disorder and like all of her different personalities actually have different superpowers. So like half of what's going on is in her head with these other personalities. And at one point when like she's struggling, it's all puppets. Like she, Mm -hmm. she's realizing that like the main 
um, personality, the original person, it's like they're all puppets for her to like act out these plays. And so you actually watch this very violent ripping mm-hmm. apart of one of the puppets. And you're like, whoo, that's that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and yet also comical for some reason. So, I mean, puppet Iliad is not a bad idea. Mm-mm. And there also there is an argument to be made that the the violence in Homer is so intense and it's so like you know people get like stabbed in all sorts of weird gross ways and it's like to like it could almost be read as like it it's breaking like I guess the Tarantino barrier you oh, know yeah. where it it, bra- mm-hmm. it breaks over into revolting into just like comical almost. I end up asking my students a lot if they think the poem itself was actually promoting war was actually critical of it just in terms of you know if you really unpack some of it and how violent it is and what people have to say i asked my students this exact same question because there was a a film critic who and i forget who said this but they said to some of the factors like i don't like war movies because all war movies are Mm pro-war even when they're ostensibly not but they kind of are yeah. And I and I asked my students of like, do you think the Iliad, you know, because I mean, in a way, like as history mets out, it kind of is right because like Alexander goes to conquer Persia yep. with the Iliad under his pillow, being like yeah. I'm gonna be Achilles, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Oh. And we could say like, maybe is it like a is it this like a Fight Club situation where it's like you're taking away the wrong message, mm-hmm. my bro? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or because I, I like Julius Caesar, what like sacrifices <laughs> at the. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, Troy Ju- or something. Yeah. Um, he also yeah. did that because Alexander did that. Alexander. Exactly, he's like following in the footsteps <laughs> of Alexander. It's like, what message are are we taking away from this? Yeah, like one of my favorite things to point out is I think book two, where oh god, what's his name? Um, the the soldier that nobody likes. Thucydides. I was yeah. just like, I'm, I'm, all, I'm ready to talk to literally, He literally <laughs> presents the exact same argument that Achilles just did. And Odysseus beats the man down. And then all the other soldiers applaud. I'm like, yay, Odysseus, you're so great. You know, here's a, here's a super hard flex. You know what Odysseus says? You don't get to f- talk that way to kings. That's exactly what he says. He's like, you don't talk to us that way. I li- I know this because I was literally prepping. And I'm like, what does the Greek say? And I like, popped it open. Um, it's not that Thersites' argument is like good or bad or whatever. It, it doesn't even matter. The fact that Thersites mm-hmm. is talking back to his social superiors is the yep. real issue. Yep. And, and Odysseus says, like, if we're going to be kings, this aggression cannot stand, man. Right. It's not it. Well, and that that's my thing is, like, and then everyone applauds. Everyone. Even though, mm-hmm. like, you know, most of the soldiers, like, this, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that joke on the internet where people tell fake internet stories about the time they, like, told exactly. off their boss. And then, like, the exactly. sort of satirical responses, and then everybody clapped. Um. <laughs> and they really clapped. <laughs> no. I I also think of it in terms of, like, what is it? Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Like, that movie is gross. There is a lot of disgusting, horrific violence. Yeah. People love that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think it has affected military enrollment? Yes, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Or a movie like Zero Dark Thirty or yep. Hurt Locker yep. or something that, like that. I was yeah. going to think Hurt, I was, Hurt Locker was one I was thinking of. To be honest, mm-hmm. I don't. I haven't seen any of them. American Sniper, you know. We're like, uh, uh, I had to watch Saving Private Ryan in my high school world history class. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
I remember the opening being played for Memorial Day when I was in middle school. Oh, that's and it was paired with this song. No. And I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> I mean, I think yep. we, we, we've gone a little far off field, but I really like where we're going. So we're gonna, still I'm, talking I'm, education here. No, <laughs> I, I it's right. Where it's like, I think the, in a way, like, I think maybe the Iliad is like a movie like Save and Private Ryan. We're like, textually, you could read this as an anti-war movie, right? Like exactly. everything is, yeah. you know, there's so many scenes you can just pull out of Saving Private Ryan of like why this is bad and dumb and yes. destructive. You know, I'm thinking yes. of like the scene where it's very early. It's right after the beach landing, and these two guys run up and they're like trying to surrender, and the American just like shoots them or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think like there's an analysis where it's like the guys are actually speaking Polish and they're basically saying something to the effect of like, we were drafted, like help us out. And exactly. the Americans, yeah, and the Americans just like shoot them or like, we don't really like, give a shit. Yeah. Which like on the surface is like, that's a very anti war reading, but. Everything like like Christy was just saying is like everybody watches Save It Private Ryan and they're like, yeah, World War Two was the best. Because we're, we're yeah. still we are a militaristic society like we just are like yeah. you have to be you have to buy into the system. You have to the propaganda is to teach us like I have this discussion with my students about like what is the one thing everyone remembers about Aztec culture? Human sacrifice. Oh my God, that's awful. It's terrible. Okay. When is human sacrifice acceptable in our society? Because it is. And Mm -hmm. it is very much framed in these settings where someone is trained to kill and or give up their life Mm -hmm. for the good of everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I wonder, is the the Iliad is the same kind of way where like you can totally read the Iliad and be like, this is a uh, diatribe against war, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like all the, you get so many scenes in the Iliad of like, you know, Hector going to visit his wife and child and yes. the wife is like, and Andromache is like, yes. yeah, Andromache is like, don't fight. All of my mm-hmm. brothers have been killed by Achilles. You will be killed by Achilles. What will happen to me and my son after you're dead? Really bad things. Um, and she's right on that account. Yep. And Hector, like mm-hmm. he can't even touch it. Like one of the better moments I think one of the poignant moments of the Iliad is Hector tries to pick up his own son and the son cries because Hector's wearing his helmet and Hector has to take his helmet off before he can pick up his own son, which is like, I feel like if ever there was a a statement of like, maybe we shouldn't fight, like that was it. But again, Alexander the Great grows up reading the Iliad. Mm -hmm. You know, he and then basically is like, you know what I want to do? Conquer the world. And then Julius Caesar. Xerxes also gives sacrifice at the tomb of mm-hmm. um, Achilles in and like it's not just it's not just the Greeks and the Romans but there's tons of cultures that have bought into that story yeah mm-hmm. and like today let's like I really am like, you guys let's read Achilles does mm-hmm. he seem heroic to you and yet that is how Brad Pitt has made us remember it mm-hmm. yes I don't know, this is like very, very far off base, but this is also the perfect opportunity for me to plug my, one of my very favorite fiction retellings of the Iliad, which I have like talked to Christy about a thousand times. Um, and I finally read is, it too. <laughs> and you finally read it, uh, which is The Silence of the Girls by Pat mm-hmm. Barker, which is a retelling of the Iliad from Briseis's perspective. And it is excellent mm-hmm. in sort of just the representation of the various influences on war and survival and is, I don't know, one of the more meaningful like retellings that I have ever read. 
That is also like what I loved about that text is like there were moments in it where I felt like I was reading the Iliad, like I could hear the lines in the background almost, but like yeah. then her voice is coming over it and being like, as a female war prisoner sex slave, this is what it is. Yeah. How did we get to this point? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think we've all taught the Iliad this semester at some point and we had I'm feelings. Teaching it now. I like taught it I was teaching it like this very week, so it's like on the brain. I don't I know how we actually this got semester. To. Yeah. Mm. Um, no, no. no, teaching uh, ancient history, teaching yeah. Yeah. No. Teaching te- is there a way to ethically teach? Greek and I, Roman I, history. You know, that's what I think this conversation was, is just like what can we effectively teach with these old stories that are off the beaten path that Kevin Klein liked to lay out for all of his students. And we're all passionate about it. Like we think there's so much here that is worth telling that. Like, yeah, I can go to that senator and not be like, well, your whole government's based off it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Here is why. Here's all it sit down gonna give you a 50 minute lecture like i do my other robert e lee's say. gun which by the way the senator gives oh him <laughs> that, that was a moment oh god that was horrifying that was wait, 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 when was kevin like... goes to visit the senator the senate the first thing the senator does is hand him a pistol that presumably belonged to was it robert e lee's coachman coachman and kevin klein's just like playing around with the pistol while they're having their conversation and like presumably a loaded gun right <laughs> Yeah, well, he's, he says the at some point, like, he's like, yeah, like, fire. that still fires. And he's like, okay. Like, <laughs> Put it back on the table now. <laughs> that, that, that senator played like Dick Cheney so well. Like, I'm like, yep, mm-hmm. there are definitely senators like that. And there's one senators like that. And like that that's kind of why I was like, if the worst thing Sedgwick ever did was cheat on a history trivia quiz, I ain't mad. Like I said, this is like a, a, a maybe in poor taste joke, but my first <laughs> response when I was thinking about this movie is this is the Brett Kavanaugh origin story of like this is exactly the, the environment that produced a dude like that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he produced like what so much of our government right is mm-hmm. old white men who came from exactly this background yeah and you are great as long as you act like these great men who committed genocide and amongst many right? other things oh god stab yeah. their friends oh. in the back but for the good of you know for the good of the republic it's fine it's fine which is like what does that even mean well, and like just to broaden out this problem, like we've we've been talking about this issue in the classroom, but in in the the world of this idea that if you model yourself off of what is believed to be great men, then you are a great man. And like I think one of the best case studies of that is Vladimir Putin, who likes to have paintings of him as Heracles and <laughs> shit like that. It's and- like Stiller and Dodgeball where he's like, that's yes. me grabbing the bull by the horns. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, Heracles is your role model? Nothing <laughs> makes sense. And slaughtered his wife and family, really? And no one acknowledges she he cross-dressed as a woman and was a slave for a year. Like no one wants to paint that part of it at all. Chrissy, you just put into perspective to me like the whole like I remember years ago when like that first photo reel of like all of like the shirtless photos of him like mm-hmm. fishing and riding a horse. And I'm like I mean, like we knew what he was doing, but like the Heracles adds like a whole other layer to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was pulling a Commodus. 
He was. Yeah. He is currently right now. Yes. So yeah, I think we're like all on board of like hate this movie because it is putting westerns and I'm gonna say Western civilization in like a bad way here. It's like we're putting it on a pedestal because as long as yep. you fall into this mold, you are great. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. that is why we have so many problems today. That is why, and that's what so much of us who are teaching ancient Mediterranean history, or literature, or whatever you want to call it. And just being like, no, these were bad systems and they existed, but there was good and there's fascinating. And there's like that crazy Alcibiades guy who I still want a movie of, <laughs> but not because it's like, I think he was a great, I, I think just because his story is fascinating and human. And frankly, relatable. Yeah. Human. Yeah. 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 I it's just for shoot trick to hunt. That's all I got to say. Justice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so I, I mentioned before that I was watching, we were watching um, Ghosts of Rwanda for my class because we're on Rwandan genocide. And like there's a quote from Dallaire who was in charge of the UN peacekeeping mission. And he mentions like talking to some of the men who had orchestrated the genocide and he had noticed blood on their hands. And he said like, and in that moment, they they weren't human to many anymore. They were you know, evil incarnate. And like, I actually hate because that is still dehumanization. And what it does is deny the truly off, like humanity is capable of greatness and it's capable of great evil. And like, it's still human. And so like the minute we categorize something as either on a pedestal or something as a devil or as evil, we remove ourselves from it and remove us ourselves from the possibility that that can happen. And it does happen. This is like the problem with like the way people talk about like Nazism, right? Because they like mm-hmm. it becomes this like abstract evil that like, yeah, like you would be evil and obvious and like, you know, when like people who are like actual Nazis today yep. out in the world, like don't realize that they are like being Nazis and they and when ironically call other people Nazis. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. That got too real for me for a second. Um, it, yeah, <laughs> that's what happens when you talk about <laughs> genocide. Yeah, I feel uh, like this. Yeah, this movie like made me think about so many wider things and so many wider themes and issues than than actually just this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm glad I watched this movie. Like I really am because yeah, I'm angry, but it's because I'm thinking about my role as an educator, as an educator of ancient Mediterranean world. Like what what do I actually want my students to take away from this? What do I want to mold them into being? I don't I don't know that I'm a molder per se, you but will like not mold my son. <laughs> It was such it like there were some things that were just so you know the question to begin with is like what's the point of what you're teaching them but also it's like with the um anti crt stuff is like oh you what are you doing to my child i get to do this to my child and yeah yeah <sighs> I, I think i, I think elijah you suggested a damn landmine with this movie i must I know. say i'm so sorry no it's a good conversation <laughs> i'm casting about or like we need to end on like a lighthearted note <laughs> oh i i know what to do you mentioned it's like what's the gimmick you open your semester with or maybe the quote or something so like if you have one or like what oh, yeah, would yeah, you yeah. consider doing yeah, what's your what's your shit took nahunte move mm-hmm. yeah okay oh god i don't know i don't <laughs> i'm trying to think I have my favorite way I talk about 
the ablative of agent versus the ablative of means in my Latin class, which means nothing. <laughs> I think we might do a similar thing. And does it involve the game Clue? It does not. No. Okay. Mine is so agent versus means is you know, like uh, a person versus an object, sort of being a part of the action, being used for. I don't know how you describe the ablative. <laughs> the means by which anymore. you do something, I guess I see. Yeah, with, with which you do something. So agent sure. versus means, a person versus an object. Um, I use uh, the rock. Dwayne the Rock Johnson is the <laughs> ablative of agent because he is a person. But if you are hitting somebody on the head with a rock, that is an object. Oh, that's good. <laughs> My go-to is it's uh, you can get both in a game of Clue where you want to say like Colonel Mustard was murdered by Mrs. Peacock with the knife. Yep, in the, yep. the the kitchen or whatever, you get all of your ablatives right there. He was murdered that's by perfect. Mrs. Peacock with yep. the knife, ablative with the means, in the kitchen. <laughs> that's <ablative>. excellent. <laughs> Should do like so, a like a time when or something. In there. Oh, you dead <laughs> language people! <laughs> get out of here! Get out of my get out of my house! All right. Well, my mine is uh, <laughs> I do two things. One is. One is actually a game I do on the first day of classes, which is based like someone made this game based off the movie Mementos, which is like apparently the storyline is a guy loses his memory every day he wakes up. Wait, so you have you I haven't have seen Memento? I haven't seen it, but I. Christy. Okay. I'm like freaking out. <laughs> well, I haven't seen Dead Poet Society either, so like judge me. I deserve it. So I do a game based off of that, which is to teach like what kinds of questions do historians ask in order to like try and, you know, answer a question about the present, actually. Um, so it's like these two people break up and you have um, all of these note cards um, with different bits of information. And like all you have is the information to begin with. And then you get like a chronology and then you get like information of like who are our sources. And one of the sources is this individual who desires one of the people who broke up and like they, they have some juicy information on the couple. Mm -hmm. um, so th that's really fun. But I, I have a quote that I start with as well. It actually comes from Napoleon. History is a set of lies that people have agreed upon. And I, I like that because it, it, history is really, is like, what does the majority agree upon? And there's bias and inaccuracies in any historical account we have. And we, that means we can also always challenge it um, with new information. So that's that's kind of my, it's like, I don't, Napoleon, damn it. Why do you have a good quote? <laughs> I, I got one. I, I know what I do. My first day in myth class, my move is the first myth I like to talk about in my mythology class is Daedalus and Icarus. And I basically, I just give, I start by just giving them the like rundown of like, here's the, you know, here's the plot of the myth vis-a-vis -vis Ovid. Uh, and then I say, okay, here's three modern things that I think Daedalus and Icarus speaks to. And so the first one is Justin Bieber. And the <laughs> second one is Jurassic Park. And the third one is the film Bao um, by Domi Shi, uh, who directed Turning Red. Just oh, okay. Amazing. So, so, the, so my, my line is like, so like these are like the ideas like to introduce some of the ideas of like different ways you can read a myth. And so the Justin Bieber thing is like we read it as a moral tale. It's like rise and fall situation. And Justin Bieber like particularly loves like angel imagery and like winged imagery. Like he shows up at his concerts all the times, like descending from the ceiling with like a set of wings. You know, he's this fallen <laughs> angel. Like he's like 
He's like self presenting himself as an Icarus kind of figure. I'm also um, flashing back to turning red now because that was like one of the aspects of the concert was that yes. the boy band appears with angel wings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like thinking about Icarus as like a moral tale, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, you know, about mm-hmm. like reaching too high, falling, things like that. Moral element. And then Jurassic Park, where there's this whole bit in Ovid where he says like when like Daedalus fashions this like unknown art to his son and he like we're breaking nature and like is flight not a thing that maybe we should be playing around with in the same way that like maybe we shouldn't be resurrecting dinosaurs you know are we are we breaking nature through technology that idea and then the third bit is bow which is the the short film by Domi Shi where basically a mother is overprotective of her child and then eats her dumpling son yep. and yep. and thinking about it as like a parent you know a relationship between parents and children where like what's the relationship a parent should have to their child where it's like does daedalus give icarus too much of a leash you know and then he like destroys himself like should we keep our and the bow is the opposite like mm-hmm. do i keep them so close that you know they resent it and then i i destroy them through, you know, trying to like, do you let them fly? Do you not let them fly? This is why I don't have children right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> no matter what I do, they have to go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my like, that's my opening. That's first day of mythology class with Colin. Um, oh, and, I love that. And yeah. just the idea of like, you can use myth to think about like, these are all we can read modern media through the lens of, of of myths and like the themes that are being played around with and use them as like tools to think about these things. You know, it, it's almost like it's like a tool in your toolbox to use to find some kind of new meaning. I love but that. That goes all the way back to like reading the Iliad and coming around with the wrong interpretation or like, mm-hmm. but that's yeah. just it. It's like you, anyone can read these and, see it as a heroic story or like I, you know, always connect to that moment with Briseis being like, I'm taking this moment to weep for my family under the guise of weeping for this guy who is involved in my incarceration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Oh man. (sighs) All right. Uh, Any, any, any closing words? No. I love what I do. (laughs) It's like, I love teaching. (laughs) <laughs> I I will say I will end again on just the point that what I took away at the end that I liked was recognizing that as educators we do have an impact on those we teach and sure. recognizing that power I think is really important and like the harm and the good it can do and that the one failure does not necessarily define your mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. yes yep all right so cue the music you should just start writing these down. <laughs> but I'm not gonna. I don't learn from my own mistakes. Um, my God, I have to pee. Hurry up. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed. As usual, you can find us at MoviesWeDig.com and follow us at, at @digmovies on Twitter. As usual, please like, review, and subscribe us on any number of streaming services where you can find us on most of the major ones. And we'll be back next episode talking about we have some actually good guests and movie ideas. We're branching a little further afield. We might be moving away from Greece and Italy into uh, Egypt uh, and exciting turns events and Mesoamerica. So stay tuned for future developments. Thank you and bye. Bye.